Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to episode six of the Health Coach Approach with Emma podcast. If you are looking for an authentic, practical, and effective approach to looking after your health holistically, look no further than the HCA. If you're an individual, workplace, or private organization, like a fitness center, gym, or workplace, I offer wellness programs, coaching, and consultancy services where we look at health in a holistic sense and draw upon practices that support us physically, mentally, emotionally, as well as spiritually. Think mindfulness, movement, meditation, breath work, as well as learning about the science behind stress and why these practices work on a psychological level and a physiological level. To get a taste of all this and more, download my free online wellness program, go to www.thehealthcoachapproach.com.au and click on the tab to get your super comprehensive and free program. And then download the Kajabi app, Kajabi spelled K-A-J-A-B-I. Pop in your email and you just got even easier access to your library of guided meditations, breath work, movement and more. So without further ado, today's guest, is Brendan Newton, an ex-professional bodyboarder who spent his 20s chasing the world's biggest, largest, gnarliest waves, as well as landing on the front page of magazines and filming documentaries. Brendan is a super inspiring and interesting person to say the least, but behind it he suffered terribly from his obsessive compulsive disorder OCD, which he talks about honestly and openly, which I really appreciate and find so humbling. He tells us how his family, university and a career change to being a recruitment manager for AIM, the Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience, which helps a thousand, over a thousand marginalised Indigenous kids every year, how it keeps him grounded and keeps him steady. So hold on to your headphones, this episode is a bloody ride. So guys, welcome to the Health Coach Approach. Our next episode, we have very fortunate to have Brendan Newton here with me and he's had a lot of life experiences and I'm really excited to chat with you today, Brendan, um, and just talk about a whole range of health topics and life topics, but really just to chat about mental health and how important it is and how we can live a life that we're really proud of. So welcome to the Health Coach Approach podcast. Thanks for having me, Emma. It's a wonderful um, opportunity to sit, I suppose, and um, put words to things, which is really therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Um, So we met each other a fair few years ago now, probably 10 years ago when we were both studying PA teaching. Um, And from there, you'd already done a lot of stuff um, with professional bodyboarding and things. And then you went into PE teaching and now you're doing something different again. So I guess I'd like to just start off by, um, yeah, explaining a little bit about yourself to our listeners. Okay, cool. Um, I suppose I was lucky I got brought up in a family who were really great at talking to people, connecting to, to people. And that's one of the major assets that I really appreciate about my personality. Um, my mum and dad were always find themselves in party rooms talking uh, a lot and engaging lots of people 
And so I kind of took on that characteristic. So when I was going through school, I'd, I'd talk to everyone in the school and I always had a really strong, like, I remember my friends even saying like, oh, you're such a social justice guy. Like, um, mm. but it was something that was really innate for me. I always wanted to talk to every group in the school and not just the cool group, you know? Mm. Um, however, you know, there's that internal pull to be a part of the cool group, but it's, um, such a weird thing you know like um and i really appreciate that and really remember fondly that i'd speak to every group even when i walked up to sit with all my friends sit like go and meet all the different people and talk to them around the the schoolyard but the reason i'm mentioning that's kind of that's probably one of the major characteristics that makes who i am like i like i like people and i, I definitely like um connecting with everyone and seeing everyone um as unique and equal and I, I suppose that's been a major part of my life as i went through into um as i sort of came out the back of uni as a fairly popular guy i started to um suffer pretty badly with obsessive compulsive thoughts even through 13 14 years old at school but um i was very kind of OCD has like traits of perfectionism, but it was um, something that really started to cause me a lot of trouble. I mean, I would catch the bus on the way to school and say a prayer for all the way on the bus. And if I didn't finish the prayer, I would stand, you know, either in the toilets or mumble to myself up the school hill until I finished mm. my prayer. Like, um, mm. and it was both good because it sounds good. You know, you praying and connecting on the highway power, but it was also very compulsive, which can be really um, stressful. Um, anyway, so that was a bit about my younger life. And when I traveled into my sort of after school, I thought I'd be really cool and, and, and aspirational and do med science. And I did six months of that and then was lured by big waves bodyboarding, um, which all the cool kids did when I was young and went, went full, full hog at that for about six mm. years, quit uni. And, um, and that was really cool because it, I suppose it gave me something to measure against. If I was going to quit uni, I needed to succeed at bodyboarding and I threw everything at it, like mm. kind of hundred percent or nothing attitude and um, caught the biggest waves in the world and ended up, I think I was in like a hundred pages of the magazines in the first year of my career. And um, mm. I was just went nuts with it, but OCD sort of was still, a thorn in my flesh and it was a very humbling thorn in my flesh because I couldn't possibly get egotistic about things because I was suffering so much trauma mentally. Um, anyway, that's kind of took me through my mid twenties and mm -hmm. then I jumped into PE teaching when I kind of redlined on, on the bodyboarding stuff for so long. Um, and then jumped into a marriage with a beautiful girl and sort of wanted to stabilize a bit because I was mentally so sick mm. and went into PE teaching where I met all you guys and um, only did PE teaching because I knew I liked sport and kids and it, I just couldn't handle too much complexity at the time. Like I just needed to do something simple and logical mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. just to try to climb back into some sort of routine or mental well-being after charging around the world doing these funky documentaries out to sea and stuff like that so yeah mm. met you guys and did pea teaching and 
as I came out of the back of PE teaching, I was like, fuck, I, I, I can't do this, um, this lesson plan business. Like I, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't get told what to do all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it just was so painful and so restrictive. Like I'm a rule breaker, not like a rule maker. Like I, I just, mm-hmm. that's always how I've been. And I just, you know, being the rule maker at the front of the room just, just felt so awkward. Um, mm-hmm. but just managed to, um, just managed to graduate from uni. Um, even though the last semester I had to do academic consideration, it was such a shit fight. Like the uni system was like, fuck, it was really, um, bad for me. They didn't consider my mental illness as being mm-hmm. obstructive and anyway, just managed to get through it and, and um, went into a very lucky scenario um, where I now work with AIM, Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience, have done for the last eight years. And that's been a journey in and of itself, but feel really like kind of almost a bit destiny calling like at the back end of that PE degree. I was really praying and wanting to know what I could do because I felt really lost, 29 years old. Or my wife was working and earning all the money and I just felt mentally ill and useless and you know, I was hanging out with all you guys, which are, you know, probably eight years younger than me. And it was like, Mm. I just felt really silly and I was obviously suffering a lot mentally. So it, I was very ashamed and, Mm. and yeah, at that breaking point, I was lucky I got a, got a start at AIM and, and then, um, really threw everything at it, similar to my bodyboarding. I just threw my life behind it and, um, really thankful that the guy who started AIM recognised my dedication and, and some of my skills and and was giving me the the ball, so to speak, a lot, which was really lucky. Um, mm. Yeah, so I ended up in a really fortunate position now where I get to sort of bang around the world, do, do lots of uh, recruiting for AIM and find new solutions for marginalised demographics and it's really fun, like super fun. Mm, mm. Yeah. So that's that's a bit of my story, but <laughs> it's a, mm. yeah, the juggle Amazing. the juggle's real, you know. Like we've got two kids now mm. the, with the woman that I met back in you know when I was two thousand six. Um, mm. Yeah, we married mm. thirteen years, and marriage is another one, you know. Like mm-hmm. you make that commitment, and you evolve through different life stages together, and. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Amazing. Um, I guess hard to know where to start, but I guess looking at where you are now um, and being where you are and having this family and this support and this work that makes you feel fulfilled. Um, looking back, is there something that you wish you could tell your younger self when you're going through those really mental um struggles and that shame and all those feelings is there something that you wish you could just sit younger Brendan down and tell him yeah it's a really good question um and I am actually faced with that scenario every day I've got a three-year-old boy and a Mm. six-year-old girl who at times you know demonstrate obsessive I mean all humans have traits towards obsession and and repetition and and other things but you know sometimes there's real obvious cases um for example um my my daughter would you know go go to sleep um and then she'd say she has to go to the toilet but it's obviously she doesn't need to go to the toilet because 
um, she just went. But there's this mm. kind of compulsive when she gets the thought, she has to act on it. And um, so she'd be going to the toilet sort of four or five times before she went to sleep. Um, and then seeing that and what reflecting back on to my childhood where those traits were really dominant and and debilitating. Um, what would I say? Um, I would, well, just to be clear, what OCD is, is where you get a thought and it's attached to a fear, something that you value um, has, has, you know, is under threat. Um, and that, that thought often relatively unassociated thought just actually spikes this anxiety that something dramatic is going to happen. Like your mum's going to die or you're, you're going to, you know, um, something crazy is going to happen to something important to you just off the back of a thought. And then mm. you are forced to check it and that check it gives you momentary peace. But mm. as soon as you sort of get that peace, your mind starts to speed up and you have the thought again, you've got to check again and mm. it's completely irrational. Like you could sit, an OCD um, sufferer could tell you it's irrational. It's not making sense and it's not true, but just the comp, the compulsion's still there. So mm -hmm. what would I say to a young Brendan would be like, um, I suppose just to suggest that there's more space in life than you think. Um, it's mm -hmm. not all on this crazy sort of have to get things right train line you know like um mm -hmm. just try to give him some space just to get some get some air and 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 not have to be perfect according to your own mind like mm. just to just to make mistakes and and to take a break and to go and do you know like weird stuff that's not driven by some goal or urgency um mm. and i think with that space neurologically and then also education around what obsessive compulsive traditionally is in a diagnostic mm. setting that would have been really nice to know at when, 10 years old when did you find out or when were you well, formally I, I, diagnosed yeah i remember i had problems even from 13 years old really become mm pretty nasty problem, particularly sort of 15, 16, 18 years old, 19, 18, 19 years old was really bad. Um, mm. I, I was, um, and I, I don't know how I found out that I had OCD, but I do remember reading a little bit, maybe on the internet or a little bit in a brochure that I saw maybe in a medical center, um, mm. obsessive compulsive disorder. And, and you know, some people have a real reaction, particularly if I may say in the alternative medicine scene or in the kind of Eastern religion scene, like people don't want to put labels on things, which is cool. Mm. I, I get that. But for me, it was really helpful to be able to clearly define what this mental neural pathway was doing in my head and knowing mm. that knowing that that was happening was really helpful. So a diagnosis was helpful. Mm. Um, it's just then what you do with the diagnosis. So I, I found out about OCD probably through my teens, through those weird, you know, just stumbling upon it in a doctor's surgery or something. But then suffering from it, I actually broke down and went and sought, sought help. I had to fly home from a bodybuilding documentary and 
England mm. um, and came back to seek help and medication, went to a specialist that was age 19. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think the people around you um, knew like to the level that it was disrupting um, your inner peace and your ability and like how it made you feel? Do you think people around you knew? Yeah. I mean, I was always a fairly eccentric person. So I'd do things like really full on. And for the most point that was admirable for my peers and family. Mm. But uh, I don't, yeah, they obviously knew that I was like, you know, fixated on different things. Um, but you just don't know. If you don't know that someone is really, yeah, it's hard. To, if you don't know someone is has like these thoughts a hundred mm. times a minute, you don't, um, you just don't know, do you? Like, so yeah. they, they knew that I was, you know, clearly running my mind on different topics because mm -hmm. my behaviors would would show but yeah mm -hmm. you, you you don't know really how much trauma and pain mm -hmm. that's causing someone mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i like to at times identify in other people sometimes when they're a little bit distracted or it, it can be more and more i find that, that there's like if you see the tip of the iceberg, those small distracted moments, sometimes it is like a massive big mountain under the water, but yeah. sometimes it's not like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think that's where um, it's just important. And I always like to think that everyone, even though they're all different battles, but everyone in their own unique way has, you know, something that they're dealing with or something that we just can't see from the outside. So it's a good, reminder that to be so kind to other people and you know to take a moment and say do you want to just get a coffee or do you want to take a break or as you said you just felt like you needed a bit more space um i think it's just a good reminder to be kind to each other i yeah, guess what I, you're I doing agree. With, mm. yeah i think i'm 37 now and i i'm now 100 percent sure that there's not a person on the planet without um some nasty mental ruminations or some complex issues like uh, that mm. they're really suffering from or distracting themselves from and it's, yeah um you know it's so easy when we're in our echo chambers um to to kind of demonize others or just you know we can even do it in the most well-intentioned kind of organization like aim we could have mm. You know, we work for minority young people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and, you know, other minority groups around the world. And we could easily demonise the middle-aged white man um, mm. who has the money and the privilege. But, like, I'm 100% sure that that middle-aged white man has his own issues, like, mm, <laughs> and, yeah. and his own complexities, his own sadnesses, his own uh, disconnections. Um, so don't when we it does make our ego feel better when we label and demonize a certain demographic or group or, mm -hmm. but it it's not the solution because yeah <laughs> i agree 100 yeah i agree 100 percent. that's not the it's not the solution and um i guess you've probably seen a lot with your work in aim um so i remember i did a little bit of work with aim when i was at uni and i really enjoyed it um but yeah how do you what's exactly your role with aim and 
um, what do you do for them? Yeah, so I started out, I volunteered, they asked me to come and share some of my surfing story with the kids in Jeremy mm. community and Wallaga Lake and down there at their program days when we we're doing our internship for uni. Oh, um, yeah. And I took a couple of days off the internship and went down and did that. And it was this beautiful, I mean, I knew those kids, because my wife grew up at Colbara next to Jeringer community. So I knew those kids pretty well. I'd surfed with them a lot. And I went into the room. It was just gorgeous. These beautiful black kids who just not physically beautiful black kids, but they, they are, but it's it, this kind of sense in the, in the room. It was just like, I was in an education setting and I never mm. fucking felt like that ever. And mm, so I just wow. thought, all right, this is cool. Like I can be myself here. We can connect mm. and talk shit and, and, and wrestle with some gnarly issues and, and, and share and have this two way learning exchange. And I thought mm. that was really good. So when, when I finished uni, I was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to try to apply for a job at AIM so much so that I didn't even do my teacher's interview. I just said, fuck it. I'm just going to, I'm going to work for these guys. So I applied for five yeah. different roles around the nation. And mm. I said to Libby, like, if I get one of these roles, like, I reckon we should move. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know, the Wollongong role is that um, I applied for the, man the the program manager, like entry-level role. And I went in and sat down with the CEO. And this is what I love about him. I, I said, mate, I'd never worked a full-time job in my life. I'd, but I, I've like, made three documentaries. I worked like 35 part-time jobs, washing dishes, mowing lawns, doing all this stuff. And, you know, I've lived an exciting life. I'm a bit of a weirdo. Like I'm, I'm crazy <laughs> at, you know, I really go for things hard and I don't give up. And, mm -hmm. and so I described this one, he's like, Oh, what does leadership mean to you? And I, I remember sitting in the interview table fiddling with this little bit of something. I was so nervous. And he said, um, what does leadership mean to you? And I said, I said, oh, the best example of leadership I can explain is when I was 15 Ks out to sea and I had five friends on the boat and we were on deadline for the content for this documentary. And I jumped off the boat to surf this like huge five meter wave in the middle of the ocean. And it was like completely unsurfable, but we got the, like, I really led the, I was really proud because I led the group into a sense of comfort to be able mm. to get the photos of that particular wave, which went on the cover of the magazine. And, and we, mm. we achieved what we're all there for and it elevated the project. And I led that, you know, and I said, that's mm. leadership, putting yourself completely in harm's way, knowing not, not intentionally, but just knowing that you're called, you're called for that moment. That feels right. And then, mm. And he's like, all right. And he called, they called me back and they, they offered me the boss's job. Yeah. But I, I, I was, I was, my work was cut out for me because I, you know, I was in this job and then you know, a couple of years later, I was managing like seven indigenous staff and I was like mm. non-indigenous and I was working in a scene that most of these guys mm. knew, knew way more about the program than I did. They had better admin skills than I did. Like it was, I was really, it I spent three months turning up to work dry reaching in the car park because I was so nervous and mm. it was such a wild learning curve for me. And um, yeah, so that's how I started my work at AIM. We looked after a thousand kids, 52 schools between Bega and uh, Sutherland Shire and mm. ran a mentoring program kind of on a weekly basis. 
um, where we recruited mentors from the uni um, mm. and, and trained them and put them into mentoring programs like you did um, with the schools. So mm. I was kind of in charge of that. And then I really enjoyed recruiting mentors and connecting lots of people. So they put me in a recruitment role. And um, so I just find different people around Australia and, and globally when we expanded in 2016 who were willing to either volunteer or step up for a paid role to run the program in their local regions and um, really enjoyed that. And it's kind of like hunting big waves. It was mm -hmm. like got to find the right person in the right locations and it became like a real joy, like almost like you go fishing mm. every day for a new, new mm. candidate. So that's kind of my gig now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well it seems like um, it's to me that even with all of you, as you said, you're a bit wacky and you, you know, you have your own um, unique approach to life and thoughts and things, but that is exactly why you've been able to achieve what you've been able to achieve and inspire people in the way you inspire people and get a job like this by being authentically you and going, you know, fuck uni, this isn't what I'm made for. Yeah. And, and you're making um, a new way of connecting with kids that I think is really important and really needed, that authentic connection where an adult as yourself has had all these experience and you're just, you just want to help and have a real relationship, um, which sometimes school, well, a lot of the time school doesn't let us have that, um, yeah. which is what I found as well. So I just think it's such a credit to you being open, being authentic and just really making life as incredible as it can for you and the other people around you, even though you've had all these struggles um, internally and these battles, uh, it's just, it's just amazing. So yeah, well, I think it takes like, um, it's easy to celebrate my quirkiness, but I think it takes both. Like I'm thankful in ways that my wife and my dad sort of said, Oh, you, you probably should just go to uni, you know, and mm. I, because the, the hard yards of going through semesters and doing, fucking boring reference lists, lists and like mm. all these things they're really important skills that that ground my eccentricities yeah and, and they've been able to um ground me because if you're just completely off with the fairies and and that could serve a purpose but it would be really really difficult to live a day-to-day -day life and look after two kids if you if if you didn't have those really gritty long haul grind experiences mm -hmm. um yeah. so yeah i think it takes both mm. i don't know you, you can't be completely out of the system to to help people i don't think you yeah. kind of kind of got to be in the system but then break it um yeah. kind of thing got to play the play yeah. the game play the rules in your own way um so i guess now um what do you think is really important for your health um like whether it's physically or mentally emotionally so like obviously having um those grounded factors um so do you do any like meditation or stillness yeah or, sure sure yeah um so i was introduced to lots of types of meditation as i sought psychological help for the last mm. 20 years um one suggestion in about 20 20 15 the psychologist that i've seen maybe every month for the last five years locally here he suggested he played me a 21 minute video of dan siegel describing the science of mindfulness and mm -hmm. that really impacted me um 
and I started really going down that mindfulness train and got quite obsessed with it and probably, you know, kind of fucked it up for myself really. <laughs> but I just, <laughs> at the same time, you know, the principles were good, observing a thought rather than chasing it. Um, that mm-hmm. was, that became really healthy, especially in an OCD cycle when you're compelled to, th- to check rather than checking, just observing it. Mm. And that, um, that was a pivotal learning in my, in my mental health recovery, um, really mm-hmm. counterculture in terms of my brain because my brain would always just chase things. Um, yeah. And I guess it. that was kind of came out in your like behavior as well. Chasing, literally chasing the big wave. Yeah. Yeah. Chasing the next thing. Like, yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. And a bit, the chase is a good skill to have, but where it's like the, it's a good skill to have, but if you know when to stop chasing and you have the ability to stop chasing, yeah, that's fucking when you become an expert. Like, yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you can chase, 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 chase. You can chase your way to being an ice addict. Like, and yeah, and that's but, where I guess like people yeah. experience burnout. They they go, yeah. they achieve. Even just um, you know, if we're not chasing big big waves, but just day to day, like that yeah. busy list, I've got to pick my kids up and then I've got to yeah. go to the gym for an hour and I've got to do this and do that. And yeah. then you're just pushing yourself. And as you said, we have no space to just breathe yeah. and just be and have fun and just relax. Like that relaxation side of it as well in our culture and our society is, is missing. I think. Yeah. Back to the, or the, 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 the methods I use. Um, like uh, to be honest, I, 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 I've had a really bad, like, last three weeks with OCD, um, mm. I've been stuck on thoughts, um, just every day. And it's been really, really painful mm. and scary. It's just, um, yeah, so I've still got bad OCD, uh, 20 years later, I've been medicated, um, which has been quite helpful for me. Um, SSRI, the traditional depression medication, but it's not, in this case for just depression it's more for um just slowing down that neural speed that my compulsions are driven by um mm-hmm. so i take 60 milligrams of peroxetine a day and have been for like i said 15 20 years but um yeah so i still suffer i still medicated and um i don't know how i'm really going to get out of it to be honest, like I, it's just a thorn in my flesh to use that biblical saying, like I just don't mm. have a way. There's principles, you know, the observation mm. of thoughts when you know you're compelled to, to, to check observing and, and watching it go by. But sometimes that's um, not practical when there's three or four, of those compulsion thoughts mm-hmm. ramping at you and your arousal levels up here and mm-hmm. you got two kids that are crossing the road and you just like, mm-hmm. just, just got a lot. It's just so complex in your head. And um, mm-hmm. so every day I'm really fucking dedicated though. Like I have routines that are mm-hmm. super solid Every day I run up this mountain um, with the kids in the pram. Rickson's mm. Pass Road is a super steep hill and that gets the endorphins up. Always have a coffee after that because it just feels magic. 
and then mm-hmm. and then I have my porridge um which I just had before this call which keeps mm-hmm. me going through the day and gives me that good sustenance mm-hmm. and I haven't drunk for a, a couple of weeks because yeah that affects the efficiency of my medication metabolizing mm-hmm. um it's, do you miss it do you miss drinking yeah oh, I, I love like it's drinking can be two things for me like mm. one thing is like having this fucking beautiful time with some friends over a really nice cold crisp lager and <laughs> just having having just like a sweet laugh and just Mm-hmm. you know just teasing each other or just talking about the surf or it's the funnest thing ever especially at yeah. a bar or something and and you're just like just laughing and just saying stupid in jokes and having a mm-hmm. beer it's the funnest thing ever two or three beers like um and i reckon it's beautiful but mm-hmm. um the other thing is like i can use it to ease the mind as like medicating um and mm-hmm like I've learned that that's not the way I want to use alcohol. So if I'm in these difficult months where I'm really stressed with OCD and we're in lockdown now, so there's obviously factors that influence Mm. that um, stress and exacerbate my OCD. But um, yeah, I just don't want to drink for that reason. Cause when I go to have a drink for that reason, Oh, it's just, the mind speeds up even more. You might feel good for 20, 30 minutes and, and you get that kind of high or, or, or drunken wobbliness over one, one or two beers on an empty stomach, but mm. it's just like you get more restless after. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's a good a quick, feeling quick the next fix. day because mm. <laughs> you're just like, you know, especially with kids, you're just like up at six and you're just, <laughs> you just feel shit about yourself. Mm, yeah yeah i think a lot of people um feel the same like it can be really positive thing but it can have if used in the wrong way yeah yeah just really not be not be helpful can be really hindering to our life and to our health um but yeah so i guess i would just want to ask um just wrapping up with the final question even though i could keep talking forever i've had all these different topics and yeah sorry i've I've talked a fair bit um no it's so it's it's so good just and just your um genuine um and just being open about these things um i think will really help other people even if they're not in exactly the same boat or position or same um with ocd but just the fact that you can be so open about it is going to be a medication and for people out there, I think so. Um, But what do you think makes you your healthiest self, even with your OCD, with everything, what makes you your healthiest and happiest self? Yeah, cool. I think it's a dance and it's a, it's a flow. Like it's Mm. not, um, because we can get stuck on these real rigidity kind of things. Like I must eat gluten-free. I must eat, mm-hmm. I must run in the morning. I must do weights or I must meditate every day, 20 minutes or whatever it is. As soon as I get into those mechanical thinking cycles, like that's mm-hmm. when I'm not well, like it's yeah. just like not yep. fun. It's not helpful. It's just fucking tyranny. And I don't want to live like that. Um, mm-hmm. So when I'm best, it's like, I've got that dance, that flow, like this, that, 
you know, there might be a bit of running, a bit of surfing, some fun playing with the kids, some hard work, you know. Mm. Um, but certainly the, the key factors for me would be like high intensity exercise at just mm-hmm. at some point, usually in the mornings, the best way with family, especially. Um, having moments of stillness and that usually happens when I'm running up the mountain. So for some people that's, mm. you know, sitting legs crossed, whatever it is. Um, but my best meditations actually when I'm just uh, at that high heart rate time where I can't think about anything but the pain in your legs, you know. Do you reckon it's being out in nature as well? You said you're running up a mountain. Yeah, yeah. That, no, but I get that on the treadmill too. I mean, yeah, there is no, nah, there is that kind of osmosis of like natural chemicals that happen. I don't know mm. exactly, but there's definitely that influence too. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, high, like high intensity exercise that I love the ups and downs of like the way you feel in the day. So some people are more even keel, but I love like mm-hmm. having like a good triple shot coffee, like where, <laughs> where I just sit and just like drift away with the birds for like half an hour. If I've got that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some intense hard work, like is good. If I don't work, I really struggle. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. on holidays, I really struggle. Like, so some good focus time, just achieving something. Um, mm. And then, yeah, I don't know, like um, some salt and sun um, mm-hmm. and a beer if, you, if you're having fun with it. Um, but yeah. it can just be a real monotony of fucking not achieving anything, just drinking every weekend, which is not that cool either. But yeah, just that some of those factors are helpful. Um, I yeah. actually probably something I haven't mentioned is like I do, and I went through a really compulsive religious stage, which I, I regret, but at times it was really, really helpful. Um, but throughout my whole life, what's been really helpful is just knowing that there's well, sort of believing that there's a higher power and knowing that I could mm. sort of surrender and that's a very palpable kind of tangible thing for me. Like I know that there's mm. a higher power that I can rest in and yeah. even if I fuck up and everything falls over, I can trust. Mm. And that that's a daily momentary moment to moment, like um, re- sort of reliance for me. So, yeah. 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 Have you always had that like even when you were yeah, younger, ever since I was it? young, uh, yeah, and I, yeah, and it would take different formats, I suppose. But that, that regardless of the formats, beneath that, it's always been the same. Where it's this sense of trust that I know that mm. I can trust, and mm. it's actually cultivated over the years. Where I actually have a feeling in my belly now, like that mm. I know that that is something I can trust, and, yeah. and it's connected somehow with a high power that is it's it's very real for me and it doesn't mm. take on any rules it doesn't take on any any formats or religions or or, or ideals it's just a sense and it's a, like it's a peace mm. Um, mm. yeah amazing that's amazing and um yeah i just hope that you know everyone in their life can experience that kind of trust and that deep peace within. And it's not from doing anything or it's not from achieving anything or it's just, it's just there. It's just feeling it when everything falls apart or whatever, or everything's good. You can just, just 
take a deep breath and it's going to be okay, that feeling. Yeah, 100%. That would be my hope for everyone um, also and Mm. for myself that I can somehow lean on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, yeah, you've said it that it's there. So it's always there. It's just remembering and connecting back and be like, oh, yeah, that feeling that's there. Remember, I can mm. go back to that. Mm. Um, yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time and just being um, open to share your experiences and what you've been through. I think it's so crucial for children, adults, older people, whatever age you are, just to have these open conversations and just to be able to accept who you are and know that we've all got struggles we're going through and that we're going to be okay. We're all in it together. So thanks so much for your time, Brendan. No worries. Thanks for opening the space for this like really therapeutic moment. And thanks for letting me, yeah, reaffirm these things. And it's good to see you doing what you want to do. Well, what an unbelievable chat with Brendan. And as much as his achievements are just absolutely amazing what he's done with his bodyboarding and his work with AIM, he's just such a lovely guy and just appreciating how open and honest and raw he is about his life and his personal experiences is just so fantastic to have. So if you are suffering with a mental health illness or think suspect you might have something along those lines please reach out talk to your friends talk to your family talk to a professional health practitioner you're not alone and there are things that you can do to help um, so we can live a healthier and happier life and however that looks to us Um, so that is it for this episode please reach out to me on my website on instagram i love to hear from you and make sure you check out Brendan and his work that he does. So until next time, stay healthy, stay happy, look after yourself. Bye for now.